Hello and welcome back to another lockdown edition of Keeping It Current. This week we're talking about the introduction of support bubbles in the UK and the Prime Minister's U-turn on meal vouchers for children. Matthew Dean joins us to give us his verdict on the current political climate. As well as that, he'll be playing political snog Maria Void. As well as that, we have the penultimate round of the Battle of the Wits and the Prime Minister has sent us another one of his messages. Plus, Jacob Reed is on hand to give us some tip-top, top-notch political analysis, as well as bringing us another instalment of What Would You Do? Indeed I am. Thanks for having me again, Thomas. Right, so let's get cracking then. First, it's time to talk about the introduction of support bubbles in the UK. Last week, Boris Johnson announced that people that live on their own or are single parents are allowed to stay in another household. This means that thousands of elderly people will be able to see their grandchildren again. Jacob, do you think that this move has come at the right time, given that the death toll is still increasing with, I think yesterday's figure was about 230 or something like that? Um, I mean, you'd like to think that for, for scientific advisors to the government... Um, have made the decision that it is the right time. Of course, there's a there's a kind of a three week lag um, between the number of infections going down, which indeed they're continuing to go down, and also we hope uh, with the shops opening, um, and uh, the number of deaths going down. But I think you can you can absolutely understand why the government wanted to do it because to to I I mean I to be frank, if I'm alone for myself for for much more than than a day or two, then I would I would be lonely. Let alone twelve weeks, and yeah. maybe these are older people who are kind of less technologically uh, those connected. Those people who are shielding, of course. And mm. I mean, to be honest, the only thing, or the, the thing that surprised me about it was that it it came out of the blue. Some of the other announcements about zoos and yeah. safari parks, they 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 were expected. They were like announced were, the night before. A news report or stuff, mm, and you would think that if the government knew something like that was in the in the pipeline, then they would let people know so they could have something to look forward to. But of course, I'm sure the people um, who are affected are just really, really glad. And of course, it, it gets rid of all rules in that they can they can consider themselves to be part of the same household so so not just to be able to see each other but to have a physical contact of a of a good hug um yeah. will surely make a big difference obviously you got to remember the lady from uh, skipton was it who uh, said to matt hancock when will i be able to hug my grandchildren so now you've been granted your wish yeah yeah thomas you've got to wait a little bit longer to hug your grandchildren but it shouldn't be long <laughs> uh, fair. Uh, ho ho hopefully um, maybe not another 50 years or something. <laughs> right, um, there's still no news on when people from multiple different households are going to be able to gather in a, like one person's house. So, Jacob, do you think that the announcement of this multiple households gathering within one will be sooner rather than later? Um, I, I feel like it will be later. The, the government roadmap that uh, Boris laid out had phase one, which was about, you know, meeting in 
uh, one other person and and sitting down on benches in parks. Phase two was about shops and schools, and that's what we've just seen. And phase three, which was going to be no earlier than the start of July, was about kind of entertainment, leisure, that that sort of thing. So they, they didn't actually mention, you know, when, when could people start to be in the same household. And on the one hand, you could say that now that we can see up to six other people, then... Um, you know, maybe it's inconvenient sometimes to, to have to be outside, but it but it's okay. On the other hand, I'm sure if they can do it, they'll want to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Indeed, because um, the fact is that, that there's obviously certain rules limiting on outside spaces, but I, there will be some people who may have like had gatherings inside the houses without uh, without the rules saying so, like. Um, after, especially since the uh, whole um, Cumgate scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I mean, I think I think that's an interesting thing actually about the debate surrounding the two meter rule. Um, a lot of industry um, is hoping um, that that will be reduced to one meter, perhaps in line with some other countries, because that would be really helpful to, for example, pubs and restaurants. Um, but I think the question that needs to be asked is. Um, we can look at the, the scientific evidence for how much safer it is to be two metres away compared to one metre away. But are people actually sticking to it? Obviously, pubs and restaurants, they, they would get shut down if they were, if they were allowed yeah. to open with, two meter, with a two metre rule and they were only making accommodations for one metre. But in the day-to-day -day humdrum of life, are people really sticking to two meters? Um, and I'm sure that's something the scientists are looking at because you can set all the rules in the world, but you've got to take into account how do people respond to them. Yeah, because especially given that if some people are being extra vigilant about, like saying, I think most of it was about uh, droplets from coughings and coughs and coughing and sneezing going transferring to other people, saying it's the maximum of two meters it can go. But if people are extra vigilant by ha having tissues on them all the time and um, coughing into tissues and washing their hands, do you think they'll be able to reduce that one, the two meter rule to one and a half meters or one meter? Yeah, I th I think so. I mean, um, you you could you could maybe imagine kind of going into a pub where they they create almost booths for you, so you can be sitting really quite near to um, to your mate, but there's a a screen in front of you. Obviously, when you're when you're drinking or eating, it would be hard to wear a mask, um, which uh, is is what we're currently recommending or indeed enforcing in uh, enclosed spaces because and this goes back to your question about being able to meet other households inside um the, the virus travels a lot uh, a lot more dangerously yeah inside um but yeah yeah and they've also i think rishi sunak and andrew marr on sunday morning that they were gonna start a review into the two meter rule do you think that they will change it um, I I think so. I I think well one one thing about the um, Boris's style of governing, which um, which I think is becoming a bit of a trend, is this kind of review or commission culture, whereby there's problem, there's uh, there's a problem or a question, increasing demands 
um, or, or, or focus on that problem, he then commissions a review and reports back at the end of it, when in fact the review probably wasn't necessary. So, so for example, with HS2, um, he, he inherited the project, it was expensive and late, he commissioned a review, and then at the end of the review, he said, yes, we will go ahead with it. And so people could kind of look forward to that announcement, and it made it feel like a fresh announcement. Um, I think it's the same with what we've what we've seen. He re, uh, a couple of days ago commissioned a review into racism and injustice in the UK. And David Lammy, uh, Labour's shadow justice secretary, has said, "You know, we don't need another review. We know what the problems are. We know how to solve them. We need concrete action." But again, this kind of yes, I hear you were going to look into it, and then in six months we know that he's going to report back. And I think it's the same with the two meter rule because they always say that they have everything under constant review. Um, and the date of the fourth of July to report back from this review is completely uh, arbitrary. Um, you know, the science isn't going to change between now and then, apart from that pubs and restaurants are opening on the 4th of July. So I think it's a statement of intent that that they want to, and if they think they can get away with it, they will. And of course, looking at Jacob's Reed's hair, you could see the barbers too on the hair, in the hairdressers. You know, uh, the two-metre rule, you won't be able to, obviously, maintain that when you go for a, uh, your post-lockdown trim. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the reason the reason the hair's looking so bad is that I got um, I got my grandma to get some garden shears and just have a little bit of a, a hack away at it, um, which um, you know inevitably um, wasn't great. Well, not everyone can can have a trim as 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 good as yours, Thomas. Oh yes, credit that credit that goes to my mother, Catherine, who <laughs> <laughs> okay. is who is um, approaching. A um, an exciting birthday for for which um, we 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 are all looking forward and wishing her the best. Yes, there'll be more about that on next week's show, Jacob. Shh. Okay. If you, if you do want to start to send in your fan mail to Thomas's mum, um, um, do do that. Find us on the social media, on the email, on whatever whatever else you want, and any gifts will be greatly received. And Thomas promises that he will actually pass them on to his mum and not just keep all the chocolate and alcohol <laughs> that he do send. Okay, so now it's time for the return of Jacob's segment. What would you do? And um, we last week we ran some uh, polls on the Instagram uh, page saying, asking what parts of the show do you like? And some chap uh, wrote all the Jacob Reed parts. He's being, what would you do? So, Jacob Reed, what would you do? Is back for a second week. <laughs> um, yes. Um, yeah. Take I'm it away, Jacob. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas. I'm hoping you didn't notice that it was actually me who, um, who submitted that. <laughs> I did notice. I did notice. <laughs> Um, so yes, um, it's back despite a lack of uh, genuine popular demand. <laughs> and what would you do is our fledgling segment in which we put ourselves in the shoes of politicians and decide how we would make a better job of running the country. Today, we found ourselves in 2010. Labour has been in government for 13 years now. It's the longest uninterrupted period in office ever but they are looking tired and have presided over the global economic crisis of 2008. The Tories have a 
fresh. I was just gonna. I was just gonna point out that you said longest uninterrupted period in office for, by Labour. Wasn't the, weren't the Tories in for seventeen years with Thatcher and Major? Yeah, Le- Labour's Labour's young. Oh, okay, young, okay. longest. Okay. Right. Um, sorry, I should. There we it's go. Right there. <laughs> um, and um, so yes, uh, Labour a comparatively long time. They seem to um, make a good job of unfortunately being out of office, or fortunately, depending on your political allegiances. But yes, we Tories have a fresh leader. I use that in inverted commas in the form of David Cameron. But like Labour, they are dogged with the expenses scandal. Uh, this is where MPs of all parties basically took the mickey, claiming expensive for things like a £1,600 floating dog house, um, duck house even, um, although I'm sure a floating dog house might exist, and £2,000 for milk cleaning. Incidentally, Catherine Ridley, Thomas's mum, would I'm sure appreciate either of those as a birthday gift. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the, the Lib Dems uh, were involved in that scandal too, but to an extent they seemed like a breath of fresh air. In the 2010 election campaign, after the first ever leaders' debate, Nick Clegg's party was actually leading the polls. Uh, in the end, it's the first hung parliament since the 1970s. Conservatives on 306 seats, Labour winning 258, and the Lib Dems on 57. Nick Clegg, Sir Nick Clegg, should I say, therefore was the kingmaker, is the kingmaker. In the end, he negotiates a coalition with the Tories, which lasted the full five years, which very few people predicted. But then the Lib Dems were absolutely wiped out in 2015, losing all but eight of their seats, and despite a brief resurgence last year, they are yet to properly recover. Clegg later argued that the junior partner in a coalition gets the blame for all the bad stuff the government does, but not the credit for the good stuff. So the question, Thomas Ridley, is this. You are Nick Clegg, and it's the 2010, after the 2010 election. Would you negotiate a coalition with the Tories, but do something differently? Would you go for a rainbow coalition with Labour? Or would you sit back and watch sparks fly? What would you do? Um... The difficult thing is to the fact that obviously, when you come to crunch the numbers, Labour and the Liberal Democrats won't have had enough to have a, par- a working majority in Parliament. So you got to think about that. If you're Nick Clegg, you wouldn't. You would think, right, we're not going to make that much of an impact. We're not going to get anything through that we wanted to. Like, say for example, the referendum on the uh, electoral system reform and uh, like stuff like tuition fees, for example. Uh, but the fact about obviously seeing what's happened after they went with the Conservatives, you said that they uh, were wiped out, only won eight seats in 2015, and uh, now they're still only on about 11 seats uh, in 2019, even though they uh, were second in the European elections last year. Uh, the, th- the thing is, I think, if I was Nick Clegg, I think I might just watch Sparks fly a bit, because of the fact that you feel like the Conservatives, you, you know sometimes you can't really trust some of the MPs in the Conservative Party when it comes to honesty, <laughs> Boris Johnson. Uh, so, uh, there's a, it's quite difficult to think. I, I think I would just sat and watch the Sparks fly because of the fact that the Conservatives were going to implement this austerity and uh, it uh, continued until after once the uh, deficit had been reduced. 
So, yeah, that's what I would have done, Jacob. Okay, now let me let me ask you, let me play devil's advocate. Do you not think that there's an economic crisis? Um, you might say the country needed a strong and stable government. Um, do you not think the Lib Dems had a duty to help provide that strong and stable government because otherwise it would have been a minority government quite 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 a way short of a majority it could have been chaos there could have been uh, another referendum uh, later in the year and arguably that's not what the country needed um yeah i understand where you're coming from but obviously we're looking now we're looking now we're in say generation covid as we're probably going it's probably going to be known as uh, and you're seeing the impact that the uh, the underfunding of the uh, Cameron and Clegg coalition government of the NHS has had on the country. In fact, because you know, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. The the vast bulk of Boris Johnson's promotion, uh, uh, like taglines in the whole uh, coronavirus pandemic, has been to protect the NHS. And I think he was so worried because that they'd been so underfunded by uh, the uh, coalition government uh, that they were going to get overrun by the pandemic. And uh, as a result, we've seen saw such a massive okay, epidemic no. in the care homes. Jacob? Yeah, um, because care, I mean, care homes, I think, is a really interesting interesting political question because at the minute in England uh, it's different in, in the devolved nations um, there, there is no support for it and it would cost money but but so far the only real attempt um, to, to, to solve the question was Theresa May in the 2017 election and it was called a dementia tax and that was that but that's another question for another day and um, let me pose to you this proposition then Thomas that although austerity went too far Nick Clegg actually agreed with it. He um, he was to the right of the Liberal Democrat Party. He agreed that the uh, that the deficit, that public debt, that borrowing was too high. We were going to saddle the next generation with too much debt, high interest payments, blah blah blah. Do you think he actually went in coalition with the Tories because he, on on the main economic issue, agreed with them? Yeah, I'm, I I would say so. If because I believe that when you look at David Cameron and Nick Clegg, you wouldn't say that David Cameron was a, a far-right conservative politician. He was more, maybe, not centre-right, but like towards the centre-right to firm-right, you know what I mean. Uh, in the way, I, I think that they're quite similar. I think he was um, economically right-wing in the way that he uh, went along with the austerity. He could have said, right, we don't give you our support for all the police cuts, all the um, the uh, benefits cuts, and he could have pulled out of that, and the Conservatives won't have had that um, a parliamentary majority to enforce them cuts. So I think he does show that he mm. was I mean, economically the... right-wing. Uh, yeah, I mean, in in terms of where Cameron, um, where Cameron was on the spectrum, I think what's interesting is that he painted himself 
as a conservative modernizer, but he did that by being socially liberal. So, for example, the conservatives had long been against uh, single mothers and um, and and homosexual um, um, people and rights and that sort of thing. And so he became more liberal on that um, on that perspective, which probably put him in touch with Nick Clegg. But then economically speaking, with austerity, you could say he was very right-wing. Now, of course, the, the Lib Dem counter to what you were just saying would be that actually Clegg did stop a lot of the austerity impulses of George Osborne and David Cameron, and there would have been more cuts without them. Yeah. But let's um, leave that aside and, and say... Um, imagine, imagine that Clegg still is in a coalition with the Tories. What do you think he could have done differently to make it more of a success or less of a failure for the Lib Dems? Or do you think it was just a non-starter? It was always going to end in tears. I, I don't know because I, I always believed that the Lib Dems got saddled with um, the um, the impact that austerity had. That these, um, say, for example, the um, people who voted, uh, those working-class voters who may have voted for the um, a UKIP, say, in 2015, or may have voted for, uh, gone and voted for the Conservatives to put them in power, they may have uh, blamed it on the Liberal Democrats, say, it's their fault that this has happened in the first place, they didn't uh, put on the brakes, as you would say, and it's, it's it is quite difficult to say, to be honest, what would have happened if they were still in now? <sighs> I think I think one thing one thing that interests me. I I read Nick Clegg's book, and you get the sense that he was very politically naive. Whereas the Tories had a great big kind of election electioneering campaign. So one of the things that sticks in my mind is that um, Nick Clegg was wondering about where, where where would his official residence be as Deputy Prime Minister? Would it be number 11 Downing Street? And he said he, he regretted not pushing more for that because you the public saw pictures of David Cameron standing outside number 10 Downing Street and they thought, yep, he's the man in charge, he's the Prime Minister. They saw Nick Clegg, well, where did they see him? They didn't. Uh, apparently, more than once, David Cameron's aides shoved Nick Clegg out of the way so it wasn't the pair of them in a photo outside of Downing Street. It was just Cameron. It wasn't the pair of them negotiating with foreign leaders at summits. It was Cameron. And so maybe if they'd been more politically savvy, if he'd if he'd abstained on or even voted against raising tuition fees, if he'd um, insisted on having 11 Downing Street, maybe... They would have made no difference. Maybe they would. A last question, because I know you'll tell me this is running on for too long, and I'm sure the <laughs> listeners agree. Um, ge- a general question about coalitions: um, the idea of parties working together, of compromise. It's not common in this country because of our majoritarian first-past-the-post electoral system, but it's uh, and it's a lot so, more common in places example, like Germany. Germany Do you, yeah. Yeah, so do you think coalitions are a good thing? Certainly the, the one we're talking about was stable. It lasted five years. Um, yeah, because, I, I, I mean, when you look at on paper at the fact there's a lot, as a fellow A-level politician, Jacob, you'd agree with the fact that the uh, 
when we did about electoral systems that the textbook would always point out negatives produces coalition governments. But you look on paper at Germany, they've had one of the most stable eco economies in the last however many years and Angela Merkel's spent more than around two decades in charge there. So it shows that they can be stable, but it just depends the mixture that you get in that, in a way. Because, you know, the Conservatives and Liberal Democrats, um, you look, well, you look at them now, they've certainly gone very far apart from each other. And I don't think they've never, see, they're not ideolog ideologically the same, but I did. They did give it a good fit, a good go at it, and they did uh, stay in power for five years. But uh, it seems that I, I think if you're a Liberal Democrat looking at it, you probably deeply regret the coalition now and the fact that you're still getting blamed for like the NHS funding being cut or the police jobs being cut and the like. Exactly. Exactly, which is a paradox because the Lib Dems have surely dreamt of getting into power. This is the only time in their history that they were in power and they regretted it so much that Vince Cable in 2017 said no matter what, they would not be part of a coalition or, or, or anything else. But with that, Mr Ridley, I realise we're running over time. Um, I'm sure there'll be an anonymous person on Instagram later in the week saying how much they enjoyed this segment. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for that, Jacob, indeed. Now it's time to talk about the other news. This week, Manchester United England striker Marcus Rashford, not Daniel Rashford, Matt Hancock, wrote to MPs requesting that children were to keep on receiving meal vouchers after the Prime Minister pulled the plug on the scheme. On Monday, Boris Johnson said that he rejected the request. But then, on Tuesday, he made a U-turn and announced that the government would be extending the meal voucher scheme for children over the summer. Jacob, why do you feel? Why do you think that the prime minister made this U-turn? Um, I mean, it's a very interesting question. If you believe what Boris says, and you know, let's for once take him at his word, he said he only found out about Marcus Rashford's campaign uh, yesterday, and that's when he made the decision. So when the number ten spokespeople were saying you know, we're, we've got this in place, we've got this in place, we're not going to do, we're not going to do that, we're not going to extend the, the free school meals vouchers over the summer. Apparently Boris didn't actually know about it, which does, does kind of um, let us into the, to the hectic life of a prime minister. Um, but I think, I think it's clear that when you've got such a, a popular, credit-worthy um, uh, public figure talking about their personal experiences um, and so, something that I think it's 160 million relatively cheap to fix and an issue uh, you know, child poverty and hunger yeah especially um, when really you, it made especially when you compare it to the furlough scheme which just says about I think it's hundreds of billions isn't it yeah it's I mean com comparatively it's 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 really not much. The, the question of U-turns is an interesting one, though, because in... Uh, Laura Koonsberg wrote a great article, I was enjoying it before, about this. In, in daily life, you know, we, we change our minds all the time. You know, this morning I thought I would have a bowl of muesli, but then when I got to the kitchen I just had a banana. Um, 
when um, when I was preparing for our um, for our ne- next round, I thought I was going to uh, do, do something about the Olympics, and, and I didn't. And so, you know, changing changing your opinion is 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 natural. You don't say in everyday life it's a U-turn, and I think it's maybe even desired that when you learn something new, when you hear a new story or a new experience or new facts come to light, you don't dig yourself in and put your hands over your ears and say, la, but you actually take note and and evolve your position. I think the reason people don't like U-turns is that first of all, it makes politicians look like wet wipes they don't really know what they're doing they're batted around all over the place and don't have any fixed ideas and also if if politicians are constantly having to make u-turns but it makes you question their judgment why are they having to make so many u-turns are they getting the decisions wrong in the first place and this is a so so, so this balance is a tricky one for all politicians. And, and of course, this wouldn't be a true discussion of U-turns without Margaret Thatcher's famous quote. In the early 1980s, she was ploughing ahead with monetarism, which had only been tried properly in a military dictatorship in Chile. Uh, unemployment was headed towards 3 million, which was unprecedented. There were, there were riots, and everyone was thinking, you know, surely she's got to back down at some point. And she said at the Tory conference, you turn if you want to, the ladies not for turning, which um, gives people like my, my granddad goosebumps even <laughs> today. Um, just to go about you turns, obviously. The government has had a history in a way that um, uh, I think one of the most notable ones in recent times was, was Theresa May's 2017 election. She said, hey, we're not going to call a snap election, we're not going to call a snap election, and then like a few days later, snap election. <laughs> it's uh, The government certainly doesn't... <laughs> have um well the past few governments certainly don't have the best record on their final decision being their final decision um this week no, and i mean you can, you can understand that some sometimes politicians they won't want to tell the truth you know to theresa may won't want to say well actually i'm quite tempted to get a big stonking majority but i'll just leave it a few weeks until the opinion polls are even more in my favor but uh, of course, the more U-turns politicians make, the less likely the public is to listen to them. Mm-hmm. So this week saw the return of non-essential retail. Many shoppers flocked to the high street, with queues seen outside of sports uh, stores like Sports Direct and Primark. God knows why. But people have been urged not to forget about. Hey, don't, 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 don't comment, comment, don't. Don't don't play don't 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 do this. We 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 saw you queuing outside of Primark, and then half an hour later, we saw you coming out with big bags laden full of various various garments that you just purchased. Yeah, yeah, do do like a bit of the uh, Primark flip flops. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's for when. Um, for, for your mum's birthday, you're re- completely renovating the garden. So you need, for the, for sitting on the swing, you need maybe some new flip-flops. For going in the paddling pool, you needed some new swimming trunks. So um, so you can't beat Primark, can you? No, of course not. But the one that lives certainly sports direct, given that people are going to boycott it after Mike Cashy said he was going to keep them open, saying that they were an essential store. Um, but yeah, let me get back onto my question. 
But people have been urged not to forget about independent businesses who are more likely to have been severely affected by the pandemic. Jacob, do you think that people should turn their attention away from shopping at bigger day stores like Primark and Sports Direct and go and support the independent stores? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for, for interrupting your, your question. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think... Um, I, I think it's a, a very worrying time for lots of independent retailers, and although they might have been eligible for government grants, their big worry will be that now they're allowed to reopen, the, the support will, will end, but people will be either too scared, or kind of too, too anxious, too afraid to go shopping, or they will go to the bigger shops, or they will stay online. And I, I think it's a case of, uh, you know, if you don't use it, you'll... You'll lose it, um, which is certainly something to to bear in mind. Yeah, so it's also been announced recently that the Department of International Development and the Foreign Office are set to merge in a sudden move by the Prime Minister. He said that this would mean aid spending will better reflect UK aims. Jacob, what are your opinions on this move uh, of the merging of the two departments? Um, I am very sceptical. First of all, I don't really at all understand why on earth this had to be announced in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, I mean, he might he might say, Boris might say it's to do with how we help other countries um, get this, this new steroid that's been proven to, to, to reduce deaths from coronavirus in the sickest patients by an eight for, or eventually a vaccine. Um, I, I think one of... It's actually, I didn't realise, it's been a political football. So um, Harold Wilson in the 60s set up the Department for International Development. I mean, it's been ping pong, ping pong uh, with Conservatives merging it again with the Foreign Office, uh, Labour separating it again. And one of the more controversial parts of David Cameron's modernisation plan was a commitment to uh, to spending 0.7% of GDP on foreign aid, and that involved not... Uh, re-merging the two. I, I, I mean, it then depends how cynical you are about the the UK's um, aims abroad. You know, surely, surely it should be part of our aim to to um, to reduce poverty and to help women and to girls into education yeah. and all that stuff. But are we taking a more self-interested approach? Um, who knows? So I, I got to admit, my, my personal opinion is I'm sceptical. I don't think it, I don't think it should have been done. Now I, I'm worried that it didn't. Yeah, spe- it, it, especially given that. Especially given that the uh, defeat, as they call it, um, will have had a big impact on helping those lower income countries uh, uh, recover from COVID nineteen. Mm, and let, let's not forget as well that. Our former MP Rory Stewart yeah. was Secretary for Defence. Yeah. <laughs> um, Secretary of Department, but is no more. Okay, so now, speaking about the Prime Minister, it's time for a message from him. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back on this extraordinary podcast. Yes, sir. I, lo- I love the new segment, What Would You Do? Yes, uh, I, I find it interesting what uh, Thomas would do in such difficult t- 
situations, um, as well as the, I, I love the, uh, 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 Battle of the Wit segment, which is, truly uh, epic. I'm just uh, dropping by to clear up uh, a, a few things here, as the, um, the, the, the first is the boarding up of the Ch Ch Churchill statue, yes, um, we did that because we're moving it to a, a another place in London. In its place, we will put up a statue of the real hero of the coronavirus pandemic. That is, of course, Dominic Cummings. He truly set a, a fantastic example for the uh, other to other parents when he got in the car to go to Durham. Also, the, the, the true reason behind Dominic's trip to Barnard Castle is that he was uh, looking for a, a McDonald's. But uh, unfortunately for him, Barnard Castle has new McDonald's. But I do hear that it has a stonking spec savers. Also, uh, uh, thank you to Donald Trump for uh, 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 making me look like a, a, a supreme being. Uh, I really appreciate it, Don. And best of luck with the uh, uh, election, yes, of course. Uh, uh, plus, just a, a little update on the Sprog. He's doing uh, well, so he's uh, carrying and he's waking me up through the night to let me know that he wasn't too wants to watch the Scooby-Doo, yes, if it wasn't for the meddling kids, ha 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 ha, yes, yeah, so that is all, uh, 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 that's all from me, now it's time for this week's special guest interview with uh, Matthew Dean. Right now, uh, please welcome this week's special guest, Matthew Dean, it's great to have you back on the show, Matthew, and uh, how are Absolute you doing? Absolute pleasure, as always. Yeah, it's great, great oh, to have you back. It's a pleasure, as always, to be on the show, and I'm doing very well, yeah. Yeah, grand. And, um, so, first question for you is, how have you been finding the lockdown so far? Well, it's just became normal now, to be fair, so I'm covering your sign, um, to be fair, I'm forgetting what it was like before, though. Yeah, there's, the a, thing, there's a bit so. of forgetting, because I obviously remember when... Uh, it got announced that RA levels were cancelled, and it's like, it's just like, oh my word, it's the end of the world, really. <laughs> I mean, the first few days it was a big shock. It was like the world wasn't real. Yeah, because when um, it, when it came out, like he made the statement on the TV, and you're like, well, well, uh, this, this is this is weird. But then you kind of adjusted to it in a way, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember, I remember it perfectly. Like, it's going to be weird going back to normal as well. But yeah, I remember because I was, um, I was at work, and he announced it whilst I was at work, and then it all hit me when I went on a break. I turned my phone on, and I had, like, ten different messages, a load of different news notifications, mm -hmm. and crazy, crazy. Yeah, so, uh, so have you picked up any new hobbies during this lockdown? I've started cycling a lot, to be fair. So, is, um, is that good, something... It's, it, been going for long cycling, long rides. Uh, well, a couple of hours, yeah. So it fills your time really well. Uh -huh. um, and then running as well. I don't like that as much. I'm gonna do running short, but cycling, yeah, really enjoying it. I, just, so, I didn't think I would either. But onto the more controversial parts, where uh, obviously you're known for having some controversial opinions. So um, very, very, uh, very, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the government has handled the coronavirus crisis well? Well, speaking from my perspective, from a libertarian, no, there shouldn't have been a lockdown in the first place at all, um, which is very, very rare, especially in this country. It's it's quite common in America. America's 50-50 split on it right now, but anywhere else in the world you go, 
Um, but yeah, yeah, no. So uh, very, very you, bad in my you like opinion. The, uh, like and, uh, the Swedish, the Swedish method. Sweden didn't, and Sweden's been fine. Um, oh, it's a lot of that to do with herd immunity. Um, and Belarus as well, although I think the the it was the dictator isn't he? he had different intentions. Mm. I'm not sure, um, but um, yeah, should have followed the Swedish model, I think. Yeah. So um, just to go on about the government, do you think that um, the obviously there's been a bit of a big epidemic in the care homes? Do you think that the care homes should have been looked after, like looked out for in the original government plans? Well, it's it's down to the care home as a as a company as an enterprise. I mean, I'm not sure if they're if they're government owned or not. But it's it's specifically um, if if they are government owned, then specifically you know the care home sector should have been cared for better. And if they're private, then it's down to the private company um, to care for their for their users. If you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But a, a full scale lockdown um, just because the care homes no. Okay. Um, but I'm assuming a lot of care homes are private, they're charity funds and that yeah, type of thing. Yeah, there's a couple of um, council So, I mean, assuming assu- assuming they have the right intentions and they want to care for people, it just seems a bit off that um, it, it's turned so bad. Obviously, uh, over the last couple of weeks, the um, the actions of uh, a chief political advisor has come have come into the, um, the uh, main... The front page news, I should say. And uh, so what are your opinions on the actions of Dominic Cummings? Well, like everybody else, in my opinion, because we have a right to free movement, free assembly, free expression, he had a right to, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Legally speaking, um, he of course couldn't have, and I find that kind of the epitome of government corruption and being government, uh, uh-huh. that once you've set the rules, they're breaking them and getting away with them when the yeah. common man wouldn't. Yeah. And see, yeah, so you either set the same standards for everyone, including government officials, or um, yeah, so either everybody can, but everybody can't. Um, legally speaking, anyway, is, is is my view, of course, is that everyone should be able to, anyway. But yeah, because um, yeah, of him, to be honest, obviously there'd be people who were in the same boat as Dominic coming through childcare problems, but um, they won't. They may have been like stopped on, say, the M6 or something like that, saying, right, go mm. back home or something like that. Well, Dominic Cummings yeah. wasn't. Yeah, I mean, you, you can kind of think of a real-world scenario. Um, if a car gets pulled over police, the police go to the driver window and Dominic Cummings is sitting there, are they really going to stop him and, and say, no, mate, you're doing the wrong thing here? If he's, mm-hmm. well, the most powerful man in the country, essentially the Prime Minister, really. Um, yeah. And um, just going on about Dominic Cummings' role in this government, um, it's quite strange to see a political advisor. Even I think even like previous political advisors like oh, yeah. Browns uh, or yeah. Cameron's I mean, advisors. I know. I know. Previously, I was a conservative. I've completely, completely changed. Of course, being a libertarian, don't share barely any views of the UK conservatives now. But that was a hypocrisy. Because yeah, twelve months ago the Conservatives were saying we need to, to do away with the unelected leaders of the European yeah. Union who have no accountability mm-hmm. and were being led by an unelected leader, essentially. It's quite quite, no quite ironic really. Because he's the one yeah. who's because um, the state the stay home, protect the NHS, save lives, that tagline that came from him. The uh, yep. get Brexit done um, came from him. So it shows how vital he was in It's just yeah. 
in the running of government. So, uh, going on to another story, what did you think about the tragic murder of George Floyd in the US? Disgusting. Um, of course, I think you you wouldn't be human if you would yeah. say otherwise. Um, Derek Chauvin, the officer, should get a life sentence. I don't believe in the death penalty. He should get a life sentence. He should have his pension of a million dollars cut. Well, not cut, completely scrapped, and all the other bonuses that go with uh-huh. being a, a policeman. Um, and the bystanding officers, how many others were I think? Was there three of the four of yeah, us? Yeah, there's three of them, I think. Um, three of them. Coincidence, really, that they uh, they all did nothing. I think not. I think, of course, this is a deep problem within the police force. But they should also face up to the uh, legal consequences, too. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever they are, I'm not sure. Um, but as a police officer, they have a duty to um, serve and protect. Yeah. They just did not do that. Yeah, as you say, they have, a, du- yeah. they have a duty to protect uh, people, the American people, and they're they're basically they're not doing that. They they're, they're scaring no. them. In fact, that's what they're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's huge. There's huge problems, and a, a lot of this, this is this is um this is American government statistics as well. Being a libertarian, whether um, governments like to trust or not, <laughs> but um, government statistics say that you know forty percent of families of police officers in in America, at least not in the UK, uh-huh. receive some form of domestic abuse. Now that could be really small. Um, but compare that to the national average, it's a lot higher mm-hmm. than usual. And of course, there's also what you call the blue wall of secrecy. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of um, corruption and racism and brutality that goes on within the police force just isn't reported by other officers. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes sense. I mean, a lot of it is human nature. If you meet a police officer and he does something wrong, you're not going to report it to you know your your superiors. Um, yeah, yeah. There was there was um, a story a while back of a, of an officer exposing um, a lot of unconstitutional and brutal things the police were doing. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a rural police department, the sheriff's department, and he got put on um, temporary temp- temporarily suspended. He got a temporary suspension. Um, so that's a huge problem as well. And it's like, what's the solution? Yeah, because you got to you think about it. They're you know, they're in the same jobs, and then if. You you got to think about it. what what do you think would have happened if that that person didn't record that video if that video didn't get released into oh, yeah, the public no. domain? No, not nothing, nothing. Depend. Well, I'm not sure if there's CCTV there or not. But even if there was, and it was filming it right then, I and could have envisioned the police um, kind of obstructing that and obstructing the CCTV footage from being released. It was really lucky that there was a bystander there at the time. I mean, if it was a smaller town or somewhere rural where this was happening again, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been filmed. Um, so, yeah. And this this whole kind of domino effect worldwide. Yeah. yeah. Um, wouldn't have wouldn't have began. The first domino wouldn't have fell. Yeah, because you see you're seeing that there's people um, coming out saying, um, right, I've been racially abused and. Uh, I think there's mm-hmm. uh, someone uh, this week resigned from, uh, I can't remember which soap it was, but somebody resigned because they were getting racially abused by members of the crew, which mm-hmm. uh, that I don't think that would have come out into the public domain if it wasn't for that person who recorded the oh, yeah. footage. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, go, you just talked about it then, but what are your opinions on the subsequent, subsequent protests, the Black Lives Matter movement? And I think that the, the protesting against the government and the police is justified as they're the perpetrators of the crime, of course. Mm. And a lot, a lot of them are saying, well, the um, the protesting of many police officers and other police stations around the country and, of course, also in the United Kingdom isn't justified. But I think it's now became more than just George Floyd. It's about 
kind of the institutional yeah, racism, the institutional of, uh, racism. Of, of, of the police. And it's the same in this, it's justified in this country as well, because in, in the UK, a person of colour or an ethnic minority is 40 times more likely to be stopped by police. Uh-huh. Um, I think if also, I also think if you're looting private enterprises and businesses and just anything that has absolutely nothing to do with it at all, you're a horrible person, you're just an opportunist. I mean, you can, you can understand it as well with people, people are stopping being paid and stuff and they say, oh, look, it's an opportunity to steal a nice flat uh-huh. screen 50 inch TV. That's what opportunism is. People are going to do that. But um, yeah, you're a horrible person. And yeah. I'm, you I'm, you I'm, want to face the legal consequences of that, of yeah. stealing. But I did, I did see something that uh, Boris Johnson uh, tweeted on his Twitter page. Oh. He was like saying, right, the protesting, ha- ha- has, I condone the protesting because of a small group of people are making mm-hmm. a mockery for the 99.5% who are behaving well, socially distancing, yeah. peacefully protesting. And... Uh, you don't want that, like, say, for example, I know um, it may, it's wrong to have a, a statue of a slave trader with the Edward Coulson statue mm-hmm. in Bristol, yeah. but I think seeing that actually vandalising things that are in the public domain, uh, <clears throat> it doesn't particularly have a yes, good that, look. That is, I mean, a result of this could be, and this is, again, awful from a libertarian perspective, who wants less government, is going to be more taxation because we're going to have to fix these things, and it's going to probably be a bigger, especially in America, more milit- more militarized police force is going to be the result of this. So where the aims have been, you know, um, admirable, the ends, mm-hmm. I mean, not so much that could end up could end up even worse, um, and especially with the current leadership in America, Trump, um, <laughs> I don't see. Um, I don't see this ending nicely. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, d- I don't really see it ending nicely because um, uh, the deployment of the military on US yeah. soil as well. I mean, it's um, like that's that's another thing. Cause if conservative, if Obama did that, conservatives in America might would be blowing off saying that on US soil, supposedly the land of the free, mm. the military is being um, deployed to quell protests and impose law and order. Their minds would blow off. Mm. When Trump does it, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's certainly going to be an interesting American election in November. Mm-hmm. The well, a lot of the polls are saying Biden's ahead by a lot, but we already saw that in 2016 where Hillary was meant to win a landslide, yeah, and, so I'm oh, not sure. And but Hil- the, Hillary, both candidates are absolutely awful, both yeah, of them. Hillary won the popular vote as well, and obviously she, she didn't get into power. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, winning yeah. the popular vote in America... Doesn't necessarily yeah. gain you the. Um, I mean, Biden. Biden was vice president to a to an ethnic minority president in Obama, but the amount of you know racist legislation over the years, um, back in the nineteen eighties, and when he said, "If you don't vote for me, you're not black," that's it's unbelievable. He said that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Um, and he said that poor kids were just as smart as white kids. So that's assuming that poor people yeah. are of ethnic minority. And it continued the failed drug war, which has had a negative um, impact on ethnic minorities for the last 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, obviously got Trump, who, well, there's a mirage of racist things he's done. It's unbelievable the two choices we're left with. I, I, um, I think it's just shown that racism just stems from the top and it spreads yeah. because yeah. these people in high power positions... 
which is why we need to severely reduce the power of, of the state, in my opinion. It's the most brutal organisation in history. Okay, uh, away from that. Uh, so once things return to normal, like, as in back to what it was yeah. before, what's the first thing that you'll do? Probably go for a pizza uh, in the local market. <laughs> I've really been missing that. Go for a pizza, meet up in a group uh, um, of over party. six, <laughs> um, being able to walk within two metres of someone. Um, yeah. I, I can't really say, but it's um, certainly going to be so unusual going back to normal since this is the normal now. Yeah, 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 because especially when you're going around the path and uh, you out on a walk or something like that you've got to stay keep your distance away from someone but then uh say you usually you might just get, like stop and chat with somebody or um mm -hmm. go go around to your neighbor's garden and have a chat with them or something like that yeah right so uh, now matthew it's time to play a game so this is called okay. guess who's talking so over mm -hmm. the lockdown episodes, myself and Jacob have been going up against each other in this game. So I thought that it'd be great to see how well one of our guests does, and I've given you this opportunity to show, uh, to see how well you do. So uh, all you have to do is to match these four quotes that I give you uh, with the politicians. Okay. So Matthew, it, it's time to guess who's talking. So your quotes are, number one. My friends, as I have discovered myself, there are no disasters and only opportunities, and indeed opportunities for fresh disasters. Number two, we spend more on cows than the poor. Number three, I'm not psychic, I cannot know what is in the mind of particular public figures. And number four, I think that politics needs a bit of spicing up. And the politicians are Nigel Farage, John Burko, Boris Johnson and Gordon Brown. The second one's definitely Gordon Brown. Uh-huh. Um, what, what was the third one again? I forgot the third one was, third I'm one not psychic, said. I cannot know what is in the mind of particular... Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's Farage, yeah. Okay. Um, because he, he never was a politician as such, although he was in the European Parliament, so officially speaking he was. Uh -huh. And I think the first one was Boris Johnson. Okay. I think the, fra the, fra the, fourth. the phrasing of the first one kind of gives, you know, the word indeed. Yeah, it gives Boris vibes, doesn't it? Uh, the fourth one was, I think that politics needs a bit of spicing up. Well, whoever the fourth choice was. Uh, John um, yeah, Burko. Okay. Burko. Okay. Yeah, that seems like... Matthew Dean, you have scored two points out of four. I'll take it. I'll take that. So, uh, my friends, uh, have it opportunities for fresh disasters. That was indeed Boris Johnson. Uh, mm -hmm. We spend more on cows than the poor. It was Gordon Brown. Uh, mm -hmm. Number three, I'm not psychic. I can't always in the, what is in the mind of particular public figures. Was John Burko. And number four, I think that politics needs a bit of spicing up. Is Nigel Farage. Uh, oh yeah, of course. So thanks for playing that now, Matthew. And now it's time we we don't do political would you rather anymore. Now we do political snog marry avoid. So now it's time for a game of political snog marry avoid. So this is political snog marry avoid. All that happens is that I'll give you three politicians and you'll have to say which one you'll snog, 
which one you'll marry and which one you'll avoid. So here goes. Your first options are Rory Stewart, Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. Oh, um, let's, um, let's avoid Rory Stewart, of course, at all costs, yeah. and then let's go with, um, not that, I hate them all, um, simply a, a ranking of three really bad, so let's say, um, Smog Starmer and, um, Mary Rishi Sunak. <laughs> Even though Sunak's the most Keynesian Conservative Chancellor yet, and Sajid Javid would have been much, much better with if you could have seen some tax cuts well, there. Uh, Sajid Javid, forced out by Dominic Cummings. Uh, number two is Jacob Rees Mogg, Nigel Farage, right. and Ooh, Dominic Raab. Slightly better this time, so let's go with Avoid Raab. Um, uh, let's go with Smog Farage and marry Jacob Rees-Mogg. Not that I like <laughs> a single politician because not one represents my views accurately whatsoever. Um, but I'd say the best one in there is Rees-Mogg. Um, a lot of the things I said in the past about him, but um, just because he's so, he's kind of the furthest right economically, if you want. Okay, interesting. So the third one is Theresa May, Diane Abbott and Tony Blair. All right. Okay. So um, let's avoid Blair because um, although although um, Diane Abbott's mathematically incompetent, Blair um, destroyed Iraq, and I agree with uh, disagree. Sorry, with any foreign intervention that's not a direct threat to our security. So let's completely avoid Blair. Mm-hmm. Um, he should really be avoided by everyone. He should be in a jail cell. Um, uh, who's the third option? Sorry, after uh, uh, Theresa May. Theresa May. So we'll marry. Ter- you marry Theresa May. Theresa May slightly better, but they're all absolutely awful. And you'll snog Diane Abbott. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be looking forward to that snog as well. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> okay, uh, number four is Joe Swinson, Boris Johnson, and Ed Miliband. Um, marry Boris, Nog Ed, and avoid Joe Swenson. <laughs> okay, marrying Boris, indeed. In- interesting. Um, last one. The best of a bad bunch. Last one is Nick Clegg, Ed Balls, okay. and David Cameron. Let's, um... Avoid Ed Balls, smog David Cameron, and marry Nick Clegg. <laughs> okay. Which so, may come as a surprise, because obviously I'm anti-EU, and Clegg was a quite, huge quite, quite surprising, actually. You know, Clegg, Clegg was quite good, because he was like a classical liberal, which is, um, eh, well, I wouldn't quite say classic, neoliberal, but um, classical liberal tendencies, so lean in, the, in a good way. So thank you for playing Political Snog Marry Void, Matthew. And thanks for coming on, and um, I'll make sure next time I get to see you, I'll give you the Keeping It Current pin badge. Oh, goodness. Yeah, indeed. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, indeed. So, uh, now it's time for the penultimate round of the Battle of the Wits. This is the penultimate round of the Battle of the Wits. 
This is the part of the show where myself and Jacob go up against each other using TV quiz show formats. Last week we played the race, not the chase for copyright reasons, and Jacob took the lead. After three rounds, the scores and the doors are Jacob 40, Thomas 31. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, you hear that right. This week's game is is who dares loses, not who dares wins, for copyright reasons. Uh, we both have three lists of 20. Each one has a number, one to three, corresponding to it. Each, uh, And then we're going to pick out a number, and that's the list we will answer. Each correct answer is worth a point to the overall total, with 10 bonus points on offer if we get to 20. But we can also end the list and take the points we've earned when we like, if we're finding it too hard, etc. But if we give a wrong answer, all the points that we have got so far on this on the list will go to our opponent. So let's go, oh, Thomas. Oh. Yes, Jacob. Oh, that's very hard. Okay, so Jacob, <laughs> let's play. Who dares loses? Not. Who there's wins for copyright reasons. So uh, Jacob's answering first. So, what number list would you like to answer? Um, I'm equally scared of all of them, but let's go for a lucky number three, please. Lucky number three, right? Jacob Reed, list number three is bands. To have headlined the pyramid stage at Glastonbury in the 21st century, post 2000. Oh, bloody hell. So, what's your first answer, JQ? Okay, okay um, uh, yeah, I, I, obviously Battle of the Wits isn't fixed in any way, but Thomas did kind of give me a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to suggest that number three might be, might, might, <laughs> might be slightly um, accessible to me. Um, but, okay. Um, uh, Coldplay. Take a break. Coldplay. That is on the list. Go. Oh, thank goodness for that. What's number two? Um, um, uh, One Republic. One Republic, Jacob. That isn't on the list. That, that's it up, Jacob. You've one point, and the one point you've already earned goes to me. Okay. Um, um, so I, I give you. Mix. No, you've already finished because you got one wrong. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the other names. So you could have had David Bowie. You could have had Stereophonics, Rod Stewart, Radiohead, Paul McCartney, Oasis, Muse, The White Stripes. Arctic Monkeys, The Killers, The Who, Kings of Leon, Jay-Z, Bruce Springsteen, Blur, Gorilla, Stevie Wonder, Beyonce, U2, The Rolling Stones, Mumford & Sons, Arcade Fire, Kasabian, Florence and the Machine, Kanye West, Adele, Foo Fighters, Ed Sheeran, Stormzy, Kylie and The Cure. Those are the new ones. You, I thought you said it was bands. Bands and artists. Bands and artists. Oh. My yeah. bad, my bad. Okay, well, let, let's move on swiftly after that humiliation. Um, <laughs> um, Thomas, pick a number one to three. Uh, can I go to number one, please, Jacob? Yep, and um, right, right there, ladies and gentlemen, that was the moment when my lead disintegrated. Um, UK cabinet ministers. 
In, in, at the moment. Yeah. Okay, can I go Rishi Sunak? Yes, you can. Is that on the list here? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. One point. Um, Dominic Rab. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Pretty Patel. Unfortunately, so. <laughs> um, Grant Shapps. Um, yep, Grant Shapps is on there. He's scootering along on his e-scooter. Uh, Alok Sharma. Alok Sharma, who is an alumni, alumnus of the University of Salford, where you'll be going in September. Okay, how many is that so far? Four? Five. Five. Five, okay. Oh, um... Liz Truss. Yes, Elizabeth Truss. Um, we're, a oh, couple, we're a couple that, um, that you should get. And Jackie Brees Mock. Okay, so Jacob Brees Mock is the leader of the House of Commons. If I have this right, he is someone who attends Cabinet, but he is not actually a member of Cabinet. Um, how harsh would it be for me to then say that? that I, th- that I think that would be very harsh. Um, okay, okay. Because so if he attends no, cabinet, Jacob, does he not? Jacob Jacob Rees-Mogg isn't a member of cabinet, but let's move on. What? So can that count? Um, it doesn't count, but you don't lose anything either. Okay, thank you. Okay. So they're all formerly ministers, not just all people who sit cabinet. Okay. Yep, yeah, you. Yeah, sorry, I should have been clearer. Okay. Um, oh. oh, Matt Hancock. <laughs> hey, there we go. There we go. Um, uh, Gavin Williamson. Yep, he used to be a fireplace salesman and is now in charge of a country's education system. Oh, the one who uh, told uh, Marcus Rashford yesterday that you can't have your water. Um, disconnected and I think we did indeed see her at BBC's Any Questions is it to raise coffee? Yep, yep, yep uh, Department for Work and Pensions Right, now here's where it gets difficult um, There are I think definitely two, definitely two that you'll kick yourself on and there are another three who have been quite regular are not quite regular, but they have been on the Downing Street briefings. Oliver Dowden. There we go. Um, oh, You've got education, I've said education. Transport, yeah, I've got him. Um, I've got DWP. Robert Jenrick. Yep, uh, communities and planning secretary, who's in, embroiled in a bit of a scandal at the minute about um, granting planning permission for someone who had donated to a Tory party. But yes, he's on the list. Oh, I think he is Robert Buckland. Yes, the, oh, um, yes. Uh, justice secretary. Okay, there's there's who who's it? 
death is. Who is, who is it for death is now? I'm not sure. Um, right. So, God. Ladies and gentlemen, oh. if you're playing along at home, I hope you've got, I hope you've got the two, that, uh, one that's blindingly obvious, and another that I think is very prominent. <laughs> oh, Boris Johnson! <laughs> yes! I, 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 yes, I, the I, Prime Minister! I, yeah, I forgot, the very I forgot that he... had I, on the show. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Boris, yeah. I, I forgot that he counted as a cabinet minister. <laughs> yes, he is, um, and I'm reading from a government website. Prime Minister, First Lord of the Treasury, Minister for the Civil Service, and Minister for the Union. Okay, we've uh, got... So, I don't know if this officially counts, but no, he counts as Secretary of State for the Cabinet Office, I think. Michael Gove. Yes, Mikey Gove, the um, uh, uh, Chancellor of the Right, so how, uh, how, ma how many have I got now, JK? Um, well, you have one, two, three, four, five, six to go, so that's 14 that you've 14, got. so I don't want to get one wrong, because... Oh, that would be really good. Um, that would be great. I think I might know a couple more. Come on, Thomas. If you get a couple of more, then your lead will be secure for the final round. Um, my words. Oh, lordy, lordy, lord. Um, education. You've got home. Defence. Silence is deafening. I don't know who's deaf for secretary. Oh, actually, I do remember, I think. I think his name rhymes with useless. Is it George Eustace? Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I think I maybe can get one more. I, uh, is he? I think he's defence minister. Is it Ben Wallace? I'm, I'm impressed. You're oh. getting people I wouldn't get. Uh, yep, it's Ben Wallace. Right, I don't. I, I can. Can I now take the points, Jacob? Uh, I can't. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, I want to take the points. I can't. I can't get think anymore. Okay, in which case, Mister Ridley, you you got sixteen points. Um, I had your one point job. that I took off you seventeen. Ah, uh, so um, the ones you didn't get: uh, Brandon Lewis, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. Alistair Jack, Secretary of State for Scotland, Simon Hart, Secretary of State for Wales, and Baroness Evans of Bowes Park, who is the leader of the House of Lords. Um, you, you could also have actually had two bonus ones. Anne-Marie uh, Chevelan, Secretary of State for... Oh, I, I think he's a member for Berwick. I've got a feeling, I think. Mm -mm. In, indeed, who um, she's just lost her job, whoopsie daisy. And then Amanda Milling, who is a minister, no. an unpaid minister without portfolio, who perhaps is there to um, make the cabinet less weighted okay. of a male species. Okay, so that leaves in the final round. Jacob could still win. It's pretty tight, it's Jacob 40. Thomas, 46. Oh. Oh, no, I miscounted. 48, sorry. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, who thinks that Thomas actually just did that on purpose? <laughs> but there's still a chance to go by when next week we'll be playing Who Wants to Be a Winner, not Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, I know. Can't wait. So, now it's time for a review of this week's show. It's been a great show, hasn't it, Jacob? Uh, it's been it's been splendid. Uh, can I just take me take a moment to come back on some of what what Matthew said? I've not actually heard his interview, but I can imagine what he did say, and I'm sure he would uh, expect and indeed enjoy us to scrutinise his um, crazy crazy views about liberalism and or anarchism. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll just put it out there that I think the biggest infringement on your personal liberty is uh, dying from coronavirus, being infected from coronavirus by someone else. And although, yes, the lockdown has, 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 has restricted our freedoms very much so, I think we're infinitely better off for the system of lockdown that's been in place, that's saved hundreds of thousands of lives, and indeed the system of taxation that gives us free healthcare at a point of use, that gives us education, that that gives us roads, roads, um, and so um, so Matthew puts forward an interesting point, but I think it's worth that we put forward a slightly more uh, common 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 position in defence of the system we have now, although it is obviously far from perfect. Okay, so join us next week when we'll have the final round of the Battle of the Wits with all to play for, and we'll be playing Guess Who's Talking once again. So thank you very much to this week's special guest, Matthew Dean. Thank you to Jacob Reed for his political analysis. And thanks thank you, to you Charlie. guys for listening. So be sure to join us next week. We won't be keeping it cool. But so we, we will, will be, be keeping, keeping it current. current. Goodbye.